Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. This is Fergus in Chicago. As always, you can connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter, uh, On Strategy One, the number one. And if you want to see any of the creative work associated with this episode or any of our other episodes, you can go to the website, uh, onstrategyshowcase.com, and all of the work and all of the, uh, the audio files are there for your enjoyment and pleasure. Today, we talk with uh, Jennifer Heelan, a VP U.S. Marketing Brand Content and Engagement for McDonald's, and Tass Tatopoulos. Uh, Tass is the, uh, the planning lead for the McDonald's business at Wyden and Kennedy in New York. And we have a conversation that uh, takes us through almost three phases, three sort of major events over the last two years. We start off by talking about how Wyden and Kennedy won the McDonald's business. And uh, we talk about the planning work, the tasks and the planning crew did in order to identify what became sort of the center, the strategic center of the of the pitch, which was uh, fan truths. And these fan truths came from engagement that, that the team had with uh, everyday folks as they went throughout the U.S. and tried to sort of rediscover the voice of McDonald's by trying to better understand the connection that every one of us has with the McDonald's brand. And they did a phenomenal job of, of doing that. Um, the second part of the conversation is about how all of that translated, not only to the everyday work that we see, whether it's, uh, whether it's on food or on value in terms of ads for products, uh, but also how it then sort of translated into the, um, the Super Bowl spot. And the Super Bowl spot was the sort of um, uh, the first um, articulation of the brand platform Famous Orders. It was uh, built upon the recognition that everyone, whether you're famous or whether you're unknown, has a McDonald's order. And it sort of feels unique to us. And they leveraged that in that Super Bowl spot. And it took off in social uh, with the involvement of various celebrities, uh, particularly Kim Kardashian, and the, the way that she dips her chicken nuggets. More importantly, what she dips or chicken nuggets into, and you'll hear about that. The last part of that is the uh, whole idea of how this all played out in the Travis Scott uh, idea and Jay Balvin. This idea that uh, you could take this observation that everybody has their own unique McDonald's order, and then you could go super deep with that by taking a famous order and making a, a whole program around that. And so that idea of, of famous orders being a platform for McDonald's came from sort of Jennifer's background uh, at Coke. Uh, she was a part of the team that developed the Share a Coke platform, which started off as a small idea uh, in one country, but then it, it went world, it went sort of global and became the brand's platform for a number of years. So the idea here is that Famous Orders becomes for McDonald's what Share a Coke was for Coca-Cola. So I uh, hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, it was a terrific conversation to have. They're, they're both uh, terrific people. And we hope you enjoyed this conversation about McDonald's Famous Orders. Welcome, both of you. It's great to have you here. And um, Wyden has been a, uh, a regular uh, agency on the showcase and McDonald's. This is the first time. So thank you, Jennifer. And thank you, Taz, for making this all happen. It's good to have you both here today. Thank, thank you for having us. 
So we're glad to have you guys on. We're, we're here to talk about uh, the work that you guys have done together. Um, there's almost there's almost two to three phases of this that um, uh, that have built upon each other. And before we get into the details of those, I thought we could just sort of start off and talk about talk about how the widen McDonald's relationship got started. For those familiar with um, a little bit of the history of McDonald's and agencies uh, here in Chicago, uh, we are unlimited was the agency prior to the creative review and then widen won the business uh, through a pitch. Um, but can you tell me a little bit of details, uh, Tass, about how this all got started for widen and, and the New York city office? Uh, yes, absolutely. So, I mean, we're speaking now, it's about January. Uh, we were invited to pitch uh, around two years ago, actually in, in sort of January, 20, 2019. And uh, I mean, again, when we when we first heard the name McDonald's, I think it, it sort of sent shudders through through the team uh, that was assembled to to pitch for it. Um, it's just one of those brands that that you dream of working on. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was a long pitch. It, it lasted about nine months. So I think I think we got the the result end of September that year. Um, and it was a long journey. You know, it it, it was it was great because from day one it, it felt like a collaborative effort i mean obviously there were other agencies pitching but every time we met the clients it just felt like uh you'd already kind of knew each other and you were trying to crack a problem together so so there was there, there was a, a a lack of sort of formality in a good way if that makes sense so jennifer for you you um you had had a previous relationship with a different widen office when you worked on Coke. Can you can you tell us how that sort of how that sort of made the transition a little easier for you? And were you were you on the uh, were you part of the pitch process, or did you come on board after that? Yeah, so I started uh, Fergus in it's going to be a year actually in a week. So I started February third, maybe a little two weeks. Um, I started February third, twenty twenty, before all the crazy of COVID started. And so I was not part of the pitch process. Um, I actually was so lucky to have started at McDonald's when Wyden was already brought on board. But yes, I spent many, many years with the Portland office and had worked with the Portland office since 2002, actually, and then was part of the pitch team that brought Portland to Coca-Cola in 2005, where Open Happiness was launched and we went to Coke Side of Life and just, you know, lived through uh, the next decade or so. So, um, so excited to work with the New York office. And I knew Neil Arthur just from the other parts of business that the New York office had at Coca-Cola. So it was such a familiar uh, connection and partnership, but was excited to work with the New York New York office because I actually had not worked with them closely at all. So the the QSR quick service restaurant category in the last few years has arguably been doing some of the best work that it's done in an awful long time. I mean, I think decades ago there were just phenomenal campaigns that sort of created culture. And I think back to the Wendy's, where's the beef campaign many decades back. And, and I think that sort of energy is coming back to the creative work, arguably in the last five to 10 years. Are, are you guys looking, do you guys look at QSR um, as just this great creative opportunity to have within Widen? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, like you say, I think uh, 
KFC and the team in Portland had showed what you could do with KFC. Um, yeah. And, you know, we, 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 we notice all the work happening. QSR is such a big spending category. I would say once we once we took on the McDonald's challenge and now that we work with McDonald's and we work with them for a year and a half, you know, we, we don't, look, McDonald's is such a beast in the category. Uh, it, it, it's around, you know, 25, 20% market share versus all the others are around five. And, and it's such a well-known brand that like what McDonald's, the answer for McDonald's is never going to be in reaction to what someone else does. Whereas, quite often others uh, might sort of position themselves against us. We, we have to behave in a way that, you know, the magic of the brand is never going to be, um, you know, positioning yourself or, or challenging someone else. And, and, and we, you know, I think we, we kind of rise above, rise above any of that competitive work, um, but, but obviously very conscious of it. So for you, for you, Jennifer, what do you, what do you think of coming into, coming into QSR from Coke. And I know there's probably a lot of overlap between the audiences in those two categories. But when you were coming into QSR, what did you what did you kind of think of the landscape when you looked at it? Was there were there folks that you pointed at that you felt were doing a really strong job or was there an was there a perspective on the brand that you had that you felt uh, was really clear? Coming from Coke, it was so important to build emotional connections with the Coke fans. And I felt that there's a lot of opportunity within the QSR business and creative, especially what I just lately and with McDonald's that that was actually a big opportunity. And I didn't see a lot of that. And McDonald's had lost its voice a bit along the way, um, thinking through what was so prominent with I'm loving it. Well, it was introduced in 2003 and just like slowly, slowly the brand was feeling more promotionally driven and getting back to that emotional connection and like breathing meaning back into the brand again to connect on an emotional level was something I got excited about and knew it was a big opportunity for the brand, especially knowing its heritage and connecting with people over time. Do you guys think about McDonald's in the in terms of positioning? Is there conversations going on that says, okay, how are we positioned in terms of there's a couple of words that defines McDonald's? Um, or do you think about it in different ways? Because different brands, uh, I think I'm finding a lot of brands these days are not getting involved in investing time and energy in shaping a couple of words or a simple statement. They're more focused externally on what's happening in culture. They're more uh, focused externally uh, on what's happening with products and with competitors and finding a way for the essence of their brand to work within culture and drive culture. Um, But are you like, is there a positioning for McDonald's? Do you think about it that way or do you think more in terms of sort of brand platforms? Yeah, it's a great question. And just the evolution of how you build a brand, like having a positioning statement, like back in the day, it's the, I would say we talk about positioning the brand, but most importantly, we talk about the brand voice because inherently that's the evolution I think that has happened as you go from a positioning statement to then how you are perceived and how you connect in culture. And so 
I would say McDonald's, I mean, what's amazing about this brand is it is in America. It's America's brand, just like Coca-Cola, right? Like it's at the heartbeat of America. And what I think has led to this emotional connection that people have is it's a place. It's a place where people have come throughout their lives as they've grown up. There are lots of like amazing memories, rituals, like whether it's a birthday party they had when they were young or they went after the Little League Championship or they came to after their bachelorette party um, Saturday, you know, Sunday morning. Like there, there is, it's delicious food at a great value and it's super convenient. It is fast. But what do you think? What yeah. do you think, Tess? Uh, no, exactly. I was just going to build on, on what JJ said. So she talked about voice, and we talk a lot about giving brands a voice at Widen. Like, it, it's probably at the heart of what we do. Um, and, uh, you know, if you think about McDonald's, yes, there are functional attributes um, that they do very well, uh, you know, whether it's speed or convenience or uh, value, et cetera. But, but those are quite functional. And actually, the, the key to unlocking a voice is never really going to be in those functional attributes. It is going to be in those emotional ones, like JJ was just started to talk through, you know. And we're blessed. I mean, I, I do. It, it's been a, you know, it's been a, a great year, the first year. But, but I do pinch myself sometimes because it, it feels like you're blessed with a brand like McDonald's. It, you know, few brands have that. Associ- those associations that that you know those memories those moments those rituals those behaviors and we'll get into what sort of unlocked the voice for us but but yeah i mean you know the palette that you have to play with is is really is second to none and so so that 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 has been the key to, to unlocking that voice so yeah. let's let's go ahead jennifer yeah i would just think to add to that there's a balance part. it's like there's a balance between the functional part of the brand and the emotional side and when that becomes off kilter, that actually is not building the brand to its best. Right. So that's what we have worked really hard as we think through the work that you've seen in 2020. And as we move on to next year, like that's, you talked about the cultural part of putting a brand out in culture. And when you have those two things in balance, that's actually when the brand sings, I think the best. So, uh, that's one thing we always keep in mind because if you if you come if you are off kilter it actually does not work for the brand. So you guys uh, you get the brief um, for our uh, planners in the audience. Uh, tell us as in as detailed way you can, but but brief. Um, that sounds kind of bizarre. Um, <laughs> tell us tell us about the sorts of activities the planning team uh, undertook in order to sort of really get an understanding of the audience and the problem. Yeah, so you know what? It, it, it was a long pitch, and and that sounds probably daunting, but it was also a very fun pitch. And and I guess having that time did allow us to do things that maybe a shorter pitch wouldn't wouldn't have allowed. Um, uh, the most important of which was we we just went out there. You know, we 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 often say as planners, you've got to get out in the real world. You've got to meet real people. Well, we we really did put that into practice on this pitch. So. Um, we, we did a road trip, you know, in about eight or nine days, we managed to drive through, I think it was around six or seven states, you know, eight or nine cities. Uh, and we drove about a thousand miles and we met people along the way. And, 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 and again, it was, 
I, I say it's a privilege when you're able to, to actually invest that time and do it. And it's something all planners should do, um, you know, and make the time for. What were you trying to discover in those discussions, those, those interactions? We describe it as um, trying to uncover the soul of the brand and, and trying to discover what, what this brand means to people in terms of how they uh, use it and visit it and memories and, and moments. And, and, and I'll tell you what was, what was interesting was we started by talking to people in McDonald's, as obviously is the obvious place. Um, but, but you know what? Trying to stop someone on their 20-minute lunch or their breakfast or stop them at the drive-thru. We did flag down some cars in the drive-thru as well. You know, it's not conducive to an hour or an hour and a half conversation. So so we quickly um, expanded where we would meet people to, to basically anywhere. You know, we, we went to church on a Sunday in Alabama and talked to some of the the, the parish afterwards. Um, we, we would talk to mums in Walmart. Um, the bar was obviously a, a good place because alcohol just helps, you know, conversation. So we, we would go to a lot of bars and, and the barman or the barwoman was a great first start to, to give you a feel for, for the place. And then and then you'd start talking to customers. We talked to chefs. We talked to farmers. So we really just talked to uh, anyone that would talk to us. So, Jennifer, for you, do you as, as a client, I know that you weren't that you weren't on board at, at this time when this was happening. But thinking back to your coke work and to your career in general, does this sort of uh, informal uh, research um, does it have the credibility within the organization that we as agency folks would hope that it does? Because many times it's what delivers the insight. It it absolutely does, Fergus, and. It, we actually asked them to do more of it. So nice. uh, Taskin, um, if you're interested, we he conducted a whole nother round of this research this past summer, which is also even more interesting going to talk to people with what everyone's been living with. And he was able to bring along our other agency partners and they all kind of participated. And so what's brilliant about what Task and his team have developed is it's truly like a heart-to-heart informal conversation and when people don't have like sitting in a room with M&Ms and their beverage, like looking at things and talking about things, they actually, I believe, I think are more fluid. And I think you get more honest and heartfelt answers, which led to the creative fodder of the strategy that Tacitus team developed with our fan truths. So we, I mean, to answer your question, we actually asked them to do it again. Yeah, I totally agree. And I always find that what's what's actually happening, and I don't know whether it's just sort of uh, looking back, back, uh, you know, and retrospectively and, and labeling it this, but I always have found that once we consume a lot of data, uh, quantitative work, once we have bunches of different conversations, I think many times we have the answer in our head, but the dots have just not connected. And the dots can connect with just a, a, uh, an, a an impromptu conversation with somebody that lasts five minutes. Something they say at, at a particular time or in a particular context, and all the dots from the quant, from the objectives, from all aspects of the business just sort of come together. And I guess we call that insight. Like I do think, you know, too much emphasis goes on quantitative data because it, it can help clients overcome uh, the sort of bravery that they need sometimes to make bold work. You know, oh, it's in the data, great. No, I'm not gonna get fired for this decision. But I think, you know, truly great work comes out of brave clients. 
Um, clients like McDonald's have been in the last year without, you know, buttering up JJ too much. But, you know, and, and, and that is in the qualitative and it's not going to be a 60% or 80%, you know, so, so you, you do have to give some, you do have to have some faith there, but you do have to trust your gut a bit more. But actually the return to that is, is, is much greater. So from an agency side, it, it's obviously amazing to have clients that, that don't need to see it in the quant and actually can, can use, you know, some, some qualitative. So when you, when you come back after being in the field doing that work, tell us a little bit about, I believe you guys produced a book that was, that was either a report or a document that sort of outlined what you'd found. Can you tell us about that? So we, we did, we, we created a book. So, so the, um, as we went back, we met more, I think around 60 people in total and we processed what they had to say. And, and we kind of distilled it into what we call fan truths. So, so these are really the, the kind of truths at the heart of the brand, you know, and they can be a moment, they can be an occasion, they can be a product truth, uh, they can be a, a memory, a ritual, they can be something you did when you were a child, they can be something that you do now with your, with your children. Um, they can be old, you know, about the rhetories that meet every morning. They can be young, you know, so that <clears throat> they can be about individuals. They can be about going there with friends, like so many um, product truths, really product and brand truths that we package together. And we, and we call them fan truths because what they do is they help you see the brand through the eyes of a fan. And and so we and we said, you know, and it was part of the pitch, part of the pitch theater. We, we sort of made a book and we had all the pages on the wall when the guys came in and we said, look, we, we've done this road trip. We've done some digging. We've, you know, and, and we feel that the kind of soul of the brand is in this book and we want to take you through it. Um, and, and that's what we did. And, uh, and and that book has formed the heart of the brand moving forward. So from a from a planning point of view, you always go. We always start any brief with find that fan truth, write a new fan truth or find one in the book. Um, and, and I think JJ mentioned partner agencies. What, what's been great is that this book is not a widened book. It's a McDonald's book and it's owned by anyone that, that sort of contributes to this brand. So, you know, us, obviously the clients, but also all the partner agencies and what it helps for those that have worked with partner agencies where, it, it can be hard. You, you guys might be on a different page. Um, the book helps because you go, you know what? Let's all write pages to this book. So, so recently, I think JJ was referring to, we did a whole exercise where different partner agencies, whether they're multicultural agencies that specialize in, in one part of the one specific audience or, or they were us, um, we, we all just, you know, dug into that, that audience and dug into that um, those truths that, that 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 are important to them, and and yeah, we 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 keep writing new pages to the book, and then so, those pages um, appear in the work. So share share maybe two or three examples of what you define as a truth. Here here are some of those truths. So, you know, the stepfather and daughter whose weekly bonding time happens in a McDonald's, or pickle lovers and pickle haters can still be friends, or <laughs> Is there anyone out there who doesn't eat the bits of cheese stuck on the wrapper? Or that feeling when your Happy Meal toy is better than your brother's? Uh, and then maybe one more. Uh, or maybe I'll do two more. I do, I do enjoy them. Um, 
when you're on the road and miss one and that you see the McDonald's sign uh, is the is on the other page of the book. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. um, when you're on the road and miss one, don't worry. You know there's going to be another one soon. And then the final one, a chaotic one, uh, ordering at the drive through with a car full of people will always descend into chaos. <laughs> and, and you know what? I, I mentioned that last one because... We, we, you know, look, this isn't science. Like I said, it's, it's, it's a lot less, a lot more art than science. But we did try and codify what makes a good fan truth. Um, and the three attributes were specific. So, you know, I, I think there was an amazing client um, during the pitch who said, when we started talking about this, he said, uh, he quoted James Joyce and he said, you know, in the specific is found the universal. And that's exactly it. It's like the, the narrower you get, the more, more specific you get, the more texture you add. So I think the example is, you know, you could say fans love the taste of our fries. All right. That's a truth. But is it really rich? Is it really interesting? No. But then if you say fans always dig for fries at the bottom of the bag, you know, you're saying the same thing. Clearly, it's because people like the fries but you're doing it in a way that's a lot more evocative and has a lot more richness and texture. Um, that's what we aim for in a fan truth. And so, uh, the, so the idea of when we talk about fan, I really liked the distinction you made between a fan is not necessarily a super fan. And even though you may not be a frequent visitor to McDonald's, you have a memory or you have a moment that you remember uh, either growing up with McDonald's or on a recent trip or a ritual that's associated with it. And so it's not just about it. It's not just about appealing to existing customers, uh, but it's appealing to pretty much everyone's experience at McDonald's. Exactly. Exactly. We, we do say, and we, and we did, um, you know, we had some questions around that when we started sharing this strategy with, you know, sort of partners of the, of the brand, we said, no, 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 this isn't about talking to super fans but this is trying to find the fan in everyone. Um, because with a brand like McDonald's, you can have quite a lot of faith that even the, the most ardent skeptics were probably fans at some point. And, you know, what, what is that fan truth that's going to, you know, even as I said to the most ardent skeptic, what's going to prick that, that hard exterior and, and just trigger a memory or a moment or a love. And you go, Oh, haven't thought about that for a while. God, I, I do love it when that happens or, Oh, I really do scratch the, you know, bits of cheese on the wrapper or, you know, I, yeah. So, so exactly. It's trying to break through, um, to, to, to anyone really, you know, because everyone, everyone has the potential to be a fan or has been a fan at some point. So part of what we love about all that Tass is talking about, even the examples of the fan truths he gave you is, you, you you were chuckling as you heard some of them because of their relatability, but like what it does is it leads to humanistic storytelling. And that's what makes the fan truth so resonant. And if you're a super fan, you get it. But even if you were a fan of the brand, it actually helps to bring this latent love of the brand back. So we we get excited and the more and more you hear it, but I think Tasks as we think through what makes a fan truth a strong one, and we debate even when we talk about the fan truths, because I know Tass, I don't know if you're going to finish your whole wheel, like what makes up a fan truth, but like the other part I think is interesting is their fan truths can be shared, but they don't have to like be loved by everyone. Like it's just more about being relatable. 
And you, you may not, I love to pick the cheese off of my egg McMuffin wrappers, but um, you may not love that, but there's something about like, you know, you maybe take the pickles out of um, your, your burger because you want to eat those first. Like there's something that is shared as far as the specialness of the food, the nuance of how you enjoy it. And that's also what makes them special. So yes, exa- that, exactly. That, that's exactly it. Like the shared is the second one. And even if you don't personally share that truth, uh, you're impressed that someone else does, you know, it, it helps build that association and, and, and that love in, in your head that, 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 that level of sort of fandom and uh, is out there for, for someone. And, and then the final one is, is special. Like it's got to make you feel special. It's got to make the brand, uh, sorry, it's got to make you feel even better about McDonald's. But, but what's interesting there, you know, is that there is room for self-deprecation and and the real the sort of the messiness of life uh, we like to talk about. So the, the fan truth around you know ordering in the car will descend into chaos. Like that's charming. You know you don't have to avoid that. You don't have to p- portray a world where there is no chaos because it makes you love the brand even more. And and it's true. You know it's authentic. A lot of the things that Tass has mentioned are related to the food. But they're fan truths, as we talked about the functional and emotional, they're also just about the experience. I mean, you've even talked like the rituals or like the memories you have. Some are going to be food focused, sure. But it's also just about the experience you had and maybe a time in your life when you came to McDonald's or when you want to take your kids to McDonald's. So they're, they're emotional fan truths too. And that actually is the beauty of them is they show all the dimensions of the brand. And that's one of the reasons I love working on it. It's such a multidimensional brand. So Tess, I think you mentioned that there were were they uh, were there three factors in this. I think I think Jennifer might have mentioned your your wheel of of truths was, and one of them was it needed to be special. What were the other two? Yeah, so specific is the one I, I I mentioned earlier, like the the get narrower, get more textured, um, shared. Like as long as it's shared by someone or some group of people, um, and and you and it's relatable, it doesn't have to be shared by absolutely everyone. Uh, and then special uh, is the third one. They all start with S. Um, so so special, you know, it should make people feel even better about McDonald's. But but there's room for self-deprecation and 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 sort of uh, the messiness of life in there as well. So every brief for planning starts with a fan truth. But we also used fan truths to simplify and create consistency in two of the core work streams for any QSR. Obviously, food and value are are very key to to any QSR. So with food, they've sort of been reinventing the wheel with every food brief. You know, you get a unique campaign for a quarter pounder and then a completely different campaign a few months later for a Big Mac, et cetera. And it, it just, it starts to feel a bit forced you know, you're, you're creating artificial hype for these products, which have been on the menu for decades. So instead, we created one campaign or creative vehicle, which we call the Fan Truth Highlight Reel. And we just add more films to this reel over time. And, and, and the way we approach this, you know, we use Fan Truths to tell elegant product stories. They're narrated by Brian Cox, uh you know logan roy in succession 
which again, I think was a especially genius move from the creatives. He can talk about anything from fry pinching to needing extra napkins when you eat a quarter pounder to the cheese stuck on the wrapper. And, and he can make it sound like poetry. If you're ordering McDonald's and your friend says they don't want fries, get them the fries. Or else your fries will be their fries. Believe you me, we've seen a lot of mornings. And eating the small bits of cheese stuck to a McDonald's wrapper is the right way to start a morning. So, you know, there's one consistent vehicle for food. And then our approach to value starts with the fan truth about the brand and simply links it to a price or deal. So if, if fan truths are really just emotional benefits from the brand, it could be a product, product truth, a moment between friends, uh, bonding between a parent and child, etc. Then value is simply getting that emotional benefit for not much money. You know, and, and, and what's great about this is it helps you blur the line between brand and value work. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys? Let's go. Guys! I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why didn't you start with that? There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Order ahead on our app and enjoy two sausage McMuffin with egg sandwiches for $4.50 and pair it with a $1 any size premium roast coffee. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So summarize in a sentence or two, Tess, before we, we start talking about Super Bowl, summarize the essence of the pitch to McDonald's. What, what was at the heart of it? Yeah. That... So again, you know, you talked earlier about positioning and, and, you know, look, when you've got nine months to think about it, you know, there were moments where we went, well, look, is is it about making McDonald's stand for this one thing over here? Like, you know, McDonald's isn't this, it's that. Um, but that the brand and the brand's associations and tentacles is just too big to make it stand for this one thing over there. And everything's got to point at that. So so like I said, you know, creating this book of fan truths was was key. And, 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 you know, the, the, the idea of a fan truth and what it means. But then that itself was key to unlocking the voice. Um, and like I said at the start, you know, we are much more about finding the voice for a brand than saying, all right, the brand's going to stand for these 10 words here and like everything's going to point to that. So um, it, it's a short leap from fan truth to fan to fan. And fan to fan is, is, is how we think about the voice. You know, it's one fan speaking to another fan. All right. About a product, about a memory, about a moment, about anything, really. Um, and so so fan to fan, you know, if fan choose became the heart of our strategy, then fan to fan um, speaking fan to fan became the key to our voice. And and, and it, you know what it also helps, you know, when you're dealing with a with a with you know, what is ultimately a huge corporation like McDonald's, um, it, it helps that company speak less like a corporation and more like a fan so so we do use that as a filter you know we go when we say this piece of communication how can we avoid it sounding like a big corporation and how can we make it feel more like a, like a fan and 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 i think um that again there was a part in the in the presentation to mcdonald's where we said you know as we went through 
all the fan truths, we, we kind of had this this realization that there were kind of two sides to McDonald's. You know, there's the big faces corporation with you know homogeneous design that that is easy to attack, and like we said earlier, the poster boy for everything bad with a category and and the world. But then you know when you and so when you say to someone in a in a bar, what do you think about McDonald's? You know, maybe sometimes you know they come back with some of the things they've read in the press recently but when you dig a bit deeper and you try and you know reveal a more personal association you realize that, that that's just under the surface you know that what we what we call your mcdonald's you know and and it is that you know the brand you grew up with have memories of where you know your order have your rituals feel at home all those all those fan truths are, are what makes that brand and and, and you know and, and it didn't take long on that road trip to get to that side. This is what's so phenomenal about the next thing we're going to talk about, which is it's the, it's the translation of the human truths that you found in your, in your journey throughout the U.S., smaller and larger cities and talking to everyday people. And then you're, you're served up with this opportunity for a Super Bowl spot. And you've got to do something... Um, I'm, I'm assuming that's got reflection of being pretty ambitious and it's got to be really compelling. And so I, I love how, and you can talk us through the, the way that you took that, that sort of observation from human culture, from the everyday person, and then you translated that into something much bigger and that can force it into sort of popular culture. Can you talk about uh, the development of the Super Bowl ad? Yes, absolutely. Um, so, obviously very exciting a few months in to get a Super Bowl brief on, on a brand like this. And, the, you know, the way we approached it was, so, so we had the, the, the stop starting point of fan truths and we wanted to find a truth that, that, that was um, sort of worthy of the magnitude of, of this event. You know, it is the biggest TV event of the year it is the biggest advertising event, the biggest sporting event. So, so we sort of went into the locker of, of fan truths uh, and it was actually one that we we got to in the pitch. Um, that that was, you know, whoever you are, however however famous or, or or unknown you are, everyone has a McDonald's order. So it, it's something that kind of unifies all of us. Whether it's the hundred million watching on TV, or the players on the pitch, or the superstar pop stars doing the halftime show, you know, what unifies them is that everyone has a McDonald's order. And and it is a bit like the um, Again, uh, familiar to JJ, it is a bit like that Warhol uh, quote about Coca-Cola. You know, the president drinks it and the bum drinks it and Elizabeth Taylor, and it's the same Coke. And, and there is magic in that. You know, it, it, the magic is, is, is the democratic nature of these brands. You know, they, they are shared by presidents and paupers alike. And, and there's something very special in that. Like, and, and again, one point I wanted to add when we were talking about the strategy is, you know, we get excited about strategy, but it also is a is a strategy that's almost uniquely the the the, the power of that strategy is unique to McDonald's. So so when you talk about you know a market leader or an incumbent, you know under attack from challenger brands, you know the the the, the strength the incumbent has if you can find that right. You know, if you can find that 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 right approach, is that you do have more associations. You you do mean more 
to more people just by the nature that more people use you and have used you. The challenge that I think you have, even though you sort of uncover this observation and this this human truth, that it's not necessarily reflective of today or of tomorrow. So you've got to create an idea that drives desire, which is in essence what you did with the Super Bowl spot, right? Right, right, hundred percent. So, so, so that, and that's where you know the the the, the genius of of creativity and the creative that's right. comes in. So. So again, we're blessed. I'm blessed to, to have creative partners like the ones I do. But you know, we 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 gave them that that insight, that truth. Um, but they took it into into a place that 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 that, that made it so special. So so again, I I, I know you have on the site. You you know, we can we can feature the ad and stuff. But the, you know, the ad itself was was just people's orders, but just you know, packaged together in in a really charming spot. Um, with, with you know with a track it was kind of had had a, had a great pace to it um and and again it was it was really the selection of who those orders would be that was part of the creative genius i would say so so you know you started kind of really really big famous names you know kim k kanye can't really bet get you know bigger than that um and then you interweaved some other celebrities you interweaved some fictional characters like you know, Dracula and Julius Caesar. And then, and then because it was a Super Bowl, you, you know, you brought it back to football. So you had, you know, some, some of the stars on, on the pitch, you know, Patrick Mahomes and, uh, uh, you know, and some other sort of other football stars from, from the past. When, when, the, when the ad launched, you know, we, we had elements in there that we hoped might take off or that people would be, you know, because no one knew what Kim and Kanye's order was or, Magic Johnson or Whoopi Goldberg's, um, and so we hoped there were talking points in there. The one that really took off was, and again, I don't know if I'd even noticed how sort of unique this was when, when, when I saw the spot, but Kim K dips her chicken nuggets in honey. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have to admit, you know, I'd, I'd been working on the brand about six months at that point. I didn't know honey was even a dipping sauce, um, but there are people out there that love it, and so how did that, did that did that come out on did she post that or was that part of the ad the kim k ad no it was in the ad the ad got posted and then the internet did its thing like the internet you know is wanted to do yeah. um exactly and and they literally screen grabbed some some guy or girl on the internet screen grabbed the honey next to the nugget and posted it and said kind of you know wtf and then someone else retweeted that and then and then you know, it wasn't actually part of the deal that Kim K was going to tweet because, you know, that probably doubled the budget. But, you know, when you create an organic and authentic conversation, she saw that and said, hang on a minute, you know, I'm going to defend this. So she she <laughs> retweeted it and went, well, of course I dip it in honey and, and, and just clarified as well. She's like to the to the people out there saying it's honey mustard. No, no, no. It's honey. You're crazy if it's honey mustard. You know, blah, blah. And again, then publications reported that. And, and you just had this swirl of conversation around why does Kim K feel honey is, is the right dipping sauce? That, the magic right. of that idea is, I think, two things. One, it's authentic to what people love and what their order is. And we weren't making it up. It's actually their order. And love that Kim K, she comes to the defense of like, no, it actually is honey. And I love honey. And then it's super simple. 
And if you think about the construct of the ad, it's the iconic McDonald's tray. And it just kept coming in and out with different people in their orders. And then the magic of that, you know, has lived throughout the, this year with um, some other executions. And we went, you know, really big, obviously with Traps and J Balvin, but the same construct we ended the year with our, we did holiday trays and holiday characters, much like the big bad wolf for Julius Caesar, we had Frosty and Rudolph um, at the end of the year. So right. it just, it's an, it's a universal insight and it's so true that it doesn't ma- matter how like big or famous you are. Um, everyone has their own McDonald's order. So you, exactly. you guys, you guys sort of um, then turn it around where um, regular folks could submit their own orders, and and so it became something that the masses could engage with at the at the at the retail level, at the store level, or how did that work? Absolutely. Well, n- not not quite at the retail level, but on social, uh, we created a sort of template where you could submit your own order and and sort of participate in in the, in this conversation. So. Our social team was working around the clock on the Super Bowl and the day after just, you know, people would, would say their orders and then we'd send them the, you know, to in, re- in reply to their tweet. Um, and, and, and again, I'm just remembering some of the, the you know, you, you do try and engineer this stuff to an extent that, that there was a bit of a filtering that our creative team did. So, so it wasn't just Kim and her honey. You know, if you watch the spot, Keith Urban has three coffees in it. And that's right, people are yeah. like, is that real? It's like, yeah, no, he's like, he said to us, that's, that's my order. I, I'm, a, I'm a big coffee guy. I love McDonald's coffee, which my mother-in-law also loves. Shout out to, to the mother-in-law. So um, wait, let me ask you this. The, the, Super, the Super Bowl spot airs, is there then paid media behind a series? I think there was a series after that. The campaign continued in paid media, right? Or was it, or was it, just, was it just social after the Super Bowl? It was. It was just social. Wow. God Lord, that thing is that. It seemed to have legs where it, it seemed to be appearing everywhere. Right, it feels bigger, doesn't it? But, yeah, it really but, yeah. did. Yeah. So, so that happens. Okay, there's there's the there's the uh, there's the insight that leads into um, the uh, uh, the idea that everyone has a McDonald's order, and then it becomes Kim K. It goes into popular culture, and that's all pre-pandemic, and then the pandemic hits, and Jennifer, if you can just talk to what the reality was within McDonald's, uh, you had come on board by this point. And um, um, what was what was the decision that needed to be made from a marketing comms point of view? Yeah, I mean, the pandemic hit March 12th. I'll never forget it. Um, I was on my way back to Atlanta because I was commuting back and forth. I had only been like with my team for six weeks and we got the notice that we weren't coming back to headquarters for we're going to shut the office down for 30 days. So we haven't been back to the office since, actually. Right. And so when when that hit, we're like, okay, well, you know, we we huddled quickly and we knew we had to 
rethink what the marketing plan and the calendar was going to be. And so we worked with Widen to figure out like, what are some simple messages that we knew we needed to get out to our consumer base? And it truly shows the power of our sustainable footprint of the, with the drive-through. And we wanted our fans to know that we were open. Despite all that was happening, they could come to us in the drive-through or delivery. And so we just started, I think we did something that we launched, I think on March 22nd, I think it was, I may get the exact date wrong, but it was like 10 to 12 days later, Fergus, we had a new idea out in the ether running about McDonald's is open. We are here to serve. And we just started one by one through the pandemic evolving the idea and finding our voice. And it's truly what the pause of the pandemic gave us is our voice surfaced surfaced and rose to the top during a time where we did brand advertising. We were doing advertising that had messages of comfort and reassurance that we were here. Um, We uh, also did this great idea to thank the first responders and the healthcare workers with a thank you meal. Yeah, I remember that. And it was our part to say thank you for keeping our country safe and also knowing how hard you work and are working for us in this during this crazy time. We gave away and thanked um, 12 million meals in total during this two-week period. And it was such an honor to be able to thank all of these people for what they've been doing. And so just one by one, we were able to have the brand shift and flex its brand voice based on what we felt we needed to say. Even with the tragedy of George Floyd um, and all that happened during that time, we had a message with a point of view and we came out with a message during that, that period. And it was just magical to see how the brand could find its way through these crazy months. And as we were starting to get to the other side of the summer and things were starting to look a little bit brighter, we also changed our tone and flexed another muscle and as people were getting out and about a little bit more, we introduced some more like light, lighthearted and um, fun work about, you know, you're come, come to McDonald's and like um, there was an idea that was called more than an order because you were actually getting out. You could actually take your food and actually go somewhere because um, it wasn't total lockdown. So there was a lot of fun we even had as we got through kind of the, the latter part of the summer. So it was just interesting to see when you took the time and we weren't necessarily focused on a promotional window based on, you know, even if there was a food introduction happening at the time, that all was shifted and put on pause for us to communicate what our fans needed most from us. And it was truly a brand advertising hiatus, if you will. Like we, that's what we did during that time. That's all we did. So. Right. 
And then there's a time that you that you decide that you can that uh, that the tone can shift that you can maybe get back into uh, extending the the campaign when you feel it's appropriate. So yeah. that sort of leads to a big brief uh, that leads to the next phase of of the campaign, which is this idea of sort of partnering with celebrity fans and giving them their signature meals. I'm, I'm curious. What did you learn from the Super Bowl spot and the the Kim K and everything that informed this strategy? Because it seems like it's a, a super organic extension of it that it all makes sense, like it was planned. But it was. It, was it was it originally always the intention to go in the in the sort of Travis Scott uh, direction, or was that something that came out of the post pandemic uh, creative thinking? I mean, look, we did get a, a big brief. Like JJ took you through a little bit of you know the tone, how it shifted, and 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 also how important we all felt that actions were over ads. So during that time, um, y- you know, we we'd been in one place. JJ used the word brand platform as well. Like we're not looking for a one-off. This has to be the start of a, a, a kind of brand platform. And you know, she referenced Share a Coke, which to to the agency receiving it, we kind of went ah. Oh, no, like, how are we going to match that? I mean, share a Coke, but but it was great because it, it kind of. What got does that us- mean, share a Coke? Yeah, so well, I can I can add to that. So like brand platforms, like we talked about brand positioning before. Like brand platforms to me is a more um, modern way to talk about brand ideas, and share a Coke was. Uh, the program that actually launched in Australia years ago. Oh, and yeah, where share we, Coke. Okay. I, thought you, I thought you said share of Coke. Yeah, share of Coke. So like when, you know, you could find your name on the Brilliant, yeah. Right, so it, it became a, what started out to be a summer promotion at Coca-Cola, but it then became the summer branded platform for six years. And so we were looking for an idea that had longevity. It was, it could be evergreen, meaning it didn't matter like when you would do this type of idea. And it needed to have um, a sense of like cultural momentum as well. And yeah. so those were kind of like, so to answer your question, like, did we say, oh, we wanted like, a, you know, to continue the Super Bowl ad, like that wasn't the brief. The brief was, how do we look for a brand platform? It's not a one-off. And I just use the reference of share codes. So it's, it's always, I think, great to give people something to bounce off of um, just so they at least kind of can push off of it. Right. And so it, uh, that's where it all started. So how, how, do you, how did you guys process that at, at Wyden and Kennedy, Tess? I think when we heard that, we had big shoes to fill. And I think, you know, again, the, the brief... When a brief is is so big um, and and broad, it, it felt it was it was too big to kind of pigeonhole into a single proposition. So so again, from planning's point of view, fan truths always a starting point for us. Um, but what we did is is we sort of put down on paper multiple fan truths that could be possible uh, ways in or jumping off points. If you think back to the Super Bowl brief. You know, we, we did come back to the guys with a load of load of ideas, you know, product ideas and new burger ideas. And but those weren't really platforms. And um, if you think back to the Super Bowl, you know, we did feel we had this really interesting fan truth that we'd seen the potential of it. 
Yeah. And it, it doesn't take that much to go from, you know, a commercial with people's orders to taking one of those orders and launching it for real. So it was only, you know, for what was a, the biggest brief possible, it was actually a small leap that t- t- took where we were and went, well, why don't we just do that? And and sometimes, you know, that 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 the answer to the biggest challenge is, is a sort of smallest little little leap. And and that's what we did. So so you know we we presented back to the to the guys and as I said there, there were a range of different ideas that I think one of them included a you know a, a Mount Rushmore uh, of of McDonald's products. <laughs> that, that's not really serious, you know. Well, we're widened, so we like to sort of throw in some throw in some some crazy ideas. But yeah, but you know, and, and you know, we sort of mocked it up quite easily. It, it doesn't take a lot if if you've seen the Super Bowl work to go freeze frame on one of those orders and go why don't we just make that for real and and that's what we did so how so so if you could if you were to think about that through what you just said jennifer about you wanted a brand platform can either one of you sort of articulate for the listener what the brand platform was i mean the it's it's an evergreen idea that starts with the fan truth and the fan truth we actually have we brought back again that the reason the brand platform itself is everyone has their McDonald's order. It doesn't matter how big or famous you are. And we've just been able to bring different articulations of that now. We had it in the Super Bowl idea. Then we went deep. Like what is brilliant about this is it took an idea that was already out and about in the world, but we went deep and it became a restaurant experience. And so that's what made it evolve because we went deep on one order all the way down to you could go and you could order the Travis Scott meal. You could go order the Jay Balvin meal. And that became the platform idea. We call it famous orders is what the platform idea name is. But because it translated then to the restaurant and you actually could order it yourself, that's what sparked all the conversation. But it came back to the authenticity of the order that it was Travis's order that he's had back in Houston whenever he was a little dude. What's up, world? Yeah, you. I'm Travis Scott. This is my McDonald's order. Follow me. Here's my quarter pounder with lettuce, pickles, onions, ketchup, mustard, and bacon. Here's my fries. Sometimes I do this. Then I dip them into barbecue sauce. Oh, yeah. And my Sprite. Same order since back in Houston, and you can try too. Gotta go. The Travis Scott meal, just six dollars. Say Cactus Jack sent you. This is the this is the the beauty and the genius, either by design or by default, of this whole thing. And I was struck by it the first time I saw the Travis Scott work, which was my first thought was, "What is?" I said it to my kids. What's the Travis? What's the Travis Scott meal? What's the burger? Is there a Travis Scott burger? And they were like, no, no, no. It's just what he orders uh, off of the regular menu. And then, then that was just sort of packaged together as the Travis Scott meal. Mm-hmm. So I kind of think from an operational level, it was yeah. just perfect because it didn't yeah. require a whole new burger or a new product. It was literally what he would typically eat when he goes through a McDonald's. Yeah, because what it did, Fergus, it shined a light on our core. Our, we call it our core menu items. Right. So it's just, that's what's brilliant about it. It's just very simple. It's what, you know, going back to the Warhol quote, it's like what Travis Scott eats, 
but then my daughter also can eat the same thing. Yeah, and exactly. So it, but it, it wasn't about reinventing and causing complexity in the restaurant because it was shining a light on what people already ordered. That's also what is good about this, but also we've got to stay true to it, which is why this will never be a platform that introduces a new menu item because it can't be someone's favorite orgs. They haven't had it yet. Exactly. I, I think um, I think we can say this, that, and I'm sure we'll delete it afterwards if, if we can't, but uh, you know, what's striking is like more, I think one in two of the people that bought the Travis Scott meal hadn't had a quarter pounder in the last year. So like you, you just, you just, like JJ said, you're shining a light on what are our iconic products and you're bringing in those, those customers that, you know, they were already coming to McDonald's. They might've, but they might've got nuggets or whatever. And, and you're just making them relook or reconsider our most iconic products. And, and, and that's what a great program can do. And to the point I, I tried to make a little bit earlier, which was the idea that uh, everybody has a McDonald's order from the brand Truths, fan Truths point of view, was reflecting on your own emotional connection with McDonald's. What this campaign was doing was showing about how that concept was working in broader popular culture. That's the creating the desire part of it. That it was, that it was you guys made it incredibly desirable uh, in social media, uh, in terms of the you know Travis Scott and Jay Balvin and others, Kim K, uh, that was sort of that genius, that connection between the uh, the influencers of popular culture and the truth that an everyday fan of the brand has. Well, it started in culture. I mean, it started in social first. It's like the campaign started in social, organic social, and we teased it it leaked actually before we teased it and we had people coming to the restaurants the weekend before the meal launched asking for the Travis Scott meal. It was amazing. So once the, once the campaign actually started and our restaurants were serving the Travis Scott meal, I mean, it is unbelievable the demand that we created with this idea. And I mean, we ran out of beef. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Before, yeah. I'm glad you said it, JJ. I wasn't sure whether we were allowed to say that. But I mean, yeah. I whispered it. Did you? I whispered it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like JJ was saying, before we'd spend a penny on paid media, people were turning up to the drive-through and saying, "I want the Travis Scott." Like the the thing had become a, a you know a, a, a part of culture before it had even launched. Some of the things that I've that I've read. Um, like for example, that people were kind of taking the point of sale posters off of the windows of McDonald's that were promoting <laughs> the meal. It. They sold it. Sold yeah. it on eBay. It's crazy. And then the other one, which I thought was phenomenal, uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but it was the the idea that people were applying for jobs at McDonald's so that they could get the Travis Scott employee T-shirt. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, come on, this is great stuff. It- it, it was crazy. They even put their um, menu, like the the receipt, because the receipt said, yeah, yeah. and they would frame it, and they would take pictures of it framing that receipt on their that they framed and put on, hung on their wall. Or I mean, they also sold that on eBay. Now, now here's the thing. This is this is the thing that I think too many of us in this industry forget. Somebody had the idea to put Travis Scott meal on the receipt. I mean, thinking to that level of detail. 
is what too many of us forget, and that that becomes something that fans uh, becomes a collector's item on, on the receipt. Yeah. It could it could have just been a cheese one large fry, one cheeseburger, whatever it was. But to, I don't know where that thinking came from. But that's changed. exactly it's our operations, though. Fergus, like that's how you keyed in an order. I mean, that was a key on the register. It's a Travis Scott meal, so that's why it came out. I mean, it's all about the specificity. We talked about that even earlier. Like it is the specificity of that, and that's it was keyed in. And so when that came in, then the crew knew, okay, this is a Travis Scott meal, and they knew what to go do. It became. Uh, I think one of our colleagues described it as like a concert ticket stub. You know, it's the equivalent in this in this COVID year of not being able to do concerts. It was the concert ticket stub that you could get, yeah. you know, and you could frame and you could put on your wall. On TikTok, you would have people uh, showing up to the drive-through, rolling their window down. And just not even what they would say to our crew is, you know what I'm here for. And yeah, they would I love play that, yeah. Travis's music, like any a song. <laughs> and then the crew had so much fun. Interact. Yeah, okay. Next window. Like it they just had a they had a good time. And there were even some videos that we saw that people actually interacted and created their own commercial, like walking them through the trap their own Travis Scott meal. So it just it was amazing the consumer fan creation. Yes. You knew you were onto something because they 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 couldn't get enough. So Jennifer, do you track? Um, because all all of this um, all of this is happening. There's this amazing amount of of uh, of uh, social activity happening, and it's it's all centered around Travis. Are you guys at the same time tracking the degree to which the brand is benefit, benefiting from this outside of transaction? We are just because of just the halo effect it's going to have, even just long term. But what I would say was probably the best measurement of that, Fergus, was just to read what was happening in social conversation and how young people were talking about the brand. That that was actually the biggest lift. And we had such crew pride. That was another barometer like the crew was so proud to be associated with the brand and working for the brand. Like some people, like we almost couldn't give them enough Travis t-shirts because they wanted to wear it every single day. So it's, it was through crew pride and also just social conversation that we were new. We knew we were onto something and that we were lifting the brand and moving it forward in culture. But there, there's a halo lift with the long-term measurement. Like, you know, we talk about quantitative, Measurement that we will see a lift as we um, think through that as we are analyzing this particular period. So as we close out here, Tess, can you tell me about, um, was there something throughout this assignment working at McDonald's that you learned as a planner that was either surprising to you or um, challenging to you? So I I think the thing that that I take most from this experience and we're now what a year and a half in um, is that again, if you go back to pitch and it was a long pitch, you know, sometimes your job as a planner is to try and completely reposition a brand, you know, and, and, and usually a, a client comes to you because the brand could be doing better, but that doesn't mean that you need to make it stand for something else. So, you know, I mean, back in my old days, you know, Johnny Walker 
it's not about status, it's about progress. Um, but other times, uh, and I think this is probably what we, we do more of at, at Wine and Kennedy, it, it's really just finding a way to reveal the truth that's already there. And, 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 and then just finding a way to deliver it that's, that's fresh, but also kind of instantly familiar and, and true. And, and that's really what, what we feel was, we felt then was the, was the answer with McDonald's and hence the strategy of fan truths. And, and a year and a half in, we, we sort of feel that, yeah, okay, that, 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 what, that, that did feel the right direction because, you know, there's so much magic in this brand that just needed to just help come, come to the surface. That, that it really wasn't about making it stand, you know, oh, McDonald's needs to stand for this thing over here, it, it, you know. And so, again, I, I don't know if that has bearing on other brands, but, but I think especially with category leaders or incumbents, you know, you shouldn't feel an obligation that we've got to completely reframe the brand, but actually how can we, you know, just, just remind people what, what does make that brand special. So, uh, Jennifer, from your point of view, coming from Coke to McDonald's, uh, the same kind of a question for you was there was there something that you've learned through this assignment that was uh, surprising to you? That was something that maybe either you were you had uh, learned on on Coke that you could translate to this, or something that was completely unique that you hadn't experienced before. Yeah. So, first, it's a great question. I don't know if there's necessarily anything that surprised me. What I would say is what what this Famous Orders platform idea did for me was just to illustrate the power of an idea. And powerful ideas are ones that are super, super simple, and they're rooted in a universal truth. And in this one, it was a fan truth. Much like the Share of Coke campaign we mentioned earlier, like the fact that Coca-Cola took the most personal thing that one has, which is their name, and put it on the on the brand and made the the brand then made it such a personal connection. Like that's just what this idea was all about. It was the simple simplicity of an idea that started in a really simplistic spot that kicked off in the Super Bowl. And there was something in it that we knew that we could continue to grow. And that's what ideas are all about. Like you find something and you grow it and every idea has its right time and place. So it was great to bring it to life in a different way and evolve it so we could go deep. But I would say the takeaway is that the power of ideas and letting them breathe is such a gift. So really excited about Famous Orders, um, what we have done and excited about what will come next. Jennifer, thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of this. It was really great hearing you. Thank you, Fergus. It was great to be a part of it. Um, it was fun task tag teaming with you as well. Uh, it was so nice. Thank you both. We can Thanks, do this Taz. regularly, even if you don't feature all of them. That'd be nice. Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll get a meal dedicated to. Uh, to oh, you. the Fergus. Uh, I'll get right. the Fergus going. <laughs> Thank you all. <laughs> Thank you both. Have a Thank good weekend. You. Have a great weekend. We'll see everybody on the next episode.